Hi, my name is Sarah Rachel Brown. I'm a 30-something-year-old woman, and I live in Philadelphia. I'm a contemporary jeweler. And like many others, I am an artist trying to make a living. On this podcast, I'm going to broach the subject of value. I'll be talking to studio artists and performers, educators and administrators, and anyone else attempting to combine their creative endeavors with how they get a paycheck. Hey, it's another episode of Proceed Value. I am your host, your producer, Sarah Rachel Brown, and it is my favorite day of the year, June 26th the day that this gal entered this very world. Hey, and what better way to celebrate than releasing a new episode for all of you fine folks to enjoy? Now, I don't know if any of you can relate, but I really love birthdays. I mean, really love. And I'm not just talking about my own. I love celebrating my friends' birthdays. I love giving surprises on birthdays. And there's just something about having a day where you simply rejoice in the fact that someone exists. I love growing another year older, and I truly do mean that. With each year that passes, I feel more attractive, confident, capable. I remember to do my taxes on time. Something that I've come to do in the past few years is take the time to reflect on what I've accomplished and where I hope to be once another birthday rolls around. If you think about it, doesn't it make more sense to make your own resolutions on your very own New Year's Day? It was right around the time of my 32nd birthday that I recorded my first interview for Proceed Value. And two years later, as I enter into my 34th year of life, I find the podcast is at the heart of my reflections and many of the intentions I'm setting for myself. One of which is continue growing my patronage in hopes that by the fifth year of the podcast, I will be able to pay myself a living wage. Now, it's a big goal, and one that upon starting this little passion project, I could not have imagined being realistic. But with each episode, I gain more patrons and supporters, so I am starting to believe that my goal might actually be attainable. So happy birthday to all my fellow June babes out there, my fellow Cancers. I hope you take some time to celebrate yourself. And thank you to my new patrons, Emily and Rebecca, for helping this gal get a little closer to my goals. If you love the podcast and you want to support what I'm doing, become my patron. Visit my website at perceivedvaluepodcast.com, click on the support page and find out how. The past couple of episodes, I have really been pushing for students to get involved in ethical metalsmiths, specifically their call for entry, so fresh, so clean. The call closed on June 8th, so if you missed it, bummer, but you know, you can still become a student member at any time throughout the year, and that will not only look good on your resume, but help keep next year's call for entry on your radar. My previous guest and Ethical Metalsmiths board member, Lucy Louise Derrickson, shared with me some stats based on this year's enrollment and call entries. And you guys, they're good. And so I asked if I could share them all with you on the podcast. So here we go. In 2018, they had 75 new members, and that number went up to 95 for 2019. In 2018, they had 55 entries for So Fresh, So Clean, and that number went up to 82 for 2019. I love knowing that students are getting involved and that an organization like Ethical Metalsmith Students is growing. So thank you to all the students who signed up, entered the call, or took part in Perceived Value's Insta giveaway for a free student membership. Those numbers keep rising, and that's really exciting. Last November, I was in New York City doing my thing, recording interviews at the New York City Jewelry Week's headquarters when a very lovely woman approached me. She introduced herself and explained that she worked for a woman in Chicago who owned a jewelry and design studio and was interested in collaborating with Perceived Value. The moment she mentioned adornment in theory, I knew exactly the space she worked in. I mean, 
Come on. I'm way too passionate about my field to not be aware of when a new space carrying contemporary jewelry opens its doors. I had been following along on Instagram for months and was curious to know who is behind this new endeavor and, of course, what's the story there. It's one thing to have an online shop and hustle your work via craft shows or Instagram, but opening a brick and mortar in a prominent neighborhood of Chicago is on a whole other level. In May, I traveled to Chicago to attend the SNAG conference, which I was quite involved with, but the only event I took on for perceived value was in collaboration with Adorement in Theory. In my coming episodes of the podcast, you will get to experience what this special event was all about through my recordings. But I felt it was important that I first give you insight to the woman behind it all. I mean, it was her vision and generosity that made it happen. Today's guest is an artist known for her intricate metalwork, modern bridal designs, and one-of-a-kind pieces featuring unexpected hues, antique stones, and historical reference. Viviana Langhoff is a wife, a leader, and someone who is extremely passionate about what she does. She is the owner of Adornment in Theory, a curated art, jewelry, and design studio located in the heart of Chicago's Logan Square neighborhood. So please, welcome today's guest, Viviana Langhoff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when I was uh, interviewing Adua, there was a woman in here that like seemed like such a character. Was that a friend or just like a shopper? Like, is that like? Oh, she's just a regular customer. Oh, Which really? Just love her. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. It seemed like yeah. there was like a good dynamic going on there. Yeah, we have a lot of uh, customers that like come in and like they want to be a part of our tribe. They're like, can we just hang out with yeah. you? Guys? <laughs> so, yeah, she's can one I, of them. Can I just be here for a little while? Yeah, um, I love that. I'm adjusting this a little bit. So Viviana, thanks for bringing me here. Yeah, <laughs> it's a pleasure. Welcome to Chicago. I know, and it's all—it's so nice. Like sometimes I've gone to a few conferences that you just get stuck with staying in the hotel and you don't really explore much outside of the city. So it's nice to have a day where I'm just like in Logan Square in your beautiful shop. Um, now, forgive me. How do you describe your shop? So I, I don't present us as a gallery. I, yeah. I call us a studio because we are makers. We make here as well. So I'm a designer. Yeah. And then I represent over 35 artists from all over the U.S. So mm-hmm. uh, it is artist-made jewelry. It is not all conceptual fine art jewelry. So we kind of have a mix of some conceptual work, but also yeah. a lot of really wearable pieces as well mm-hmm. as, you know, fine jewelry. So, yeah, yeah, you cover all like a little bit of everything, a little bit of everything, which yeah. I think is like a business model smart because, yeah, I mean, mm. but for me, it's like all of those worlds, it's very easy for me in terms of like curation. They mm-hmm. all make sense in my mind, yeah. you know, so if I travel to Morocco and I'm bringing back pieces from Morocco, for me, those are contemporary that's not you know and there's a history behind it and you know people are still making in studios so Mm -hmm. I I feel like it I feel like it all works yeah yeah so I'm here with Viviana Langhoff Mm -hmm. correct right the last name I didn't know how much we pronounced the g in it so I always get a little self-conscious um who is the owner of Adornment in Theory where Perceive Value is set up today recording all day long interviews um and also, at this simultaneously, you have a exhibition up in the gallery. Sorry, not the gallery. The storefront. Okay. Like I just said, we just went over this. <laughs> Good lord! Um, where it's all. Do you want to describe what the show is? Yeah. So the show we currently have up is called Underexposed. Um, when I uh, opened our store, uh, I was really hunting for other artists um, of color in the United States specifically. I think a lot of times people, you know, like to pad that with international yeah. uh, people of color, but you know, in the United States, it, it's, it's a lot harder and it's a lot, <laughs> it's just, it's just leaner. So yeah. uh, I wanted to kind of have that conversation be initiated and mm-hmm. um, called on my friend Adia Sykes. So she just graduated from SAIC with a master's in curation well. and uh, asked her to kind of take that concept and run with it. She does not have a background in jewelry, but a background in fine art. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so she created a show. Uh, everything is modeled, photographed, uh, hung by all 
uh, artists and people of color, transgender. So yeah, so it's yeah, very proud of it. Love it, you know. Yeah. Um, and then in conjunction with that, we are perceived values in the gallery interviewing Viviana. We just had Ajua Obang from Ghana here. And then we're going to wrap up our day of talking with Adia, Viviana, and myself all on the microphones, kind of having this discussion around why the lack of diversity and what we're hoping for the future. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but before that... I wanted to get you on the mic because, I mean, you're, you have a storefront in Logan Square in Chicago, and you're making it happen. You're the designer. You're making, you're also running the business, the accounting, the boss lady. Yeah. So you are the type of person that I am always so curious to get to talk to about how you play all these roles simultaneous and how you make things happen. Um, because I have a huge amount of respect for that. Thank you. I love it. I'm having I'm having a blast. Yeah. <laughs> How old is Adornment in theory? So uh, we are a little over a year and a half. Oh, okay. So I've been making, mm-hmm. uh, designing, and or managing other jewelry stores for a little over ten years. Yeah. So yeah, and it was it was time. It was a time to do it yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So are you from Chicago? I am not. I was born in Puerto Rico, okay. and I was raised in Florida, and then I moved up to Chicago from Miami mm-hmm. um, to go to the School of the Art Institute. Okay. So I moved up here when I was 18, 19, and met my husband and stayed. So we're now, oh, it's crazy. It's going to be 15, 16 years, yeah, Yeah. here in the city. How old were you when you moved from Puerto Rico to Miami? Uh, to Florida? It was uh, Florida. Oh, four. Yeah, but just like any family, that if you if you're part of an immigrant family or any mm-hmm. sort of family, like every summer, yeah, you go back like as soon as school ended, yeah, like my mom would send us back, and then like we would come back ma- t- to uh, the stateside, you know, yeah. like a couple weeks before school started, yeah. So I feel like like it's it's home. I know yeah. like the back of my hand. I can go to Puerto Rico. I, I yeah. feel like it's almost like when people are like, oh, is it exotic? I'm like, yeah. I mean. It's home. home. Yeah, Yeah. it's home. I love it. I I mean, I ask that because I relate the same way. I born in Oklahoma, moved up to Iowa, but my dad stayed in Oklahoma. So it's every summer. Yeah, I would go back to Oklahoma. And so it's kind of a complicated question when people are like, oh, where'd you grow up? And it's like, well, Oklahoma, During the school year, I'm here. During the summers, I'm here. Yeah, Yeah. you you get both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And so do you miss Florida? Like, how was your... I know I, a lot of people from Florida and they're like, they were so happy weird, to leave Florida. It's so the so weirdest state. Uh, so weird. I miss the weather. Yeah. Um, and I miss some really good Cuban food. Really yeah. Good. There's just like a, the Caribbean culture. Mm-hmm. I miss that up here. But I, I thrive in cities. I love the energy of cities. Like yeah. it'd be Chicago or New York. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, LA. Uh, I've gotten to second base with LA. Yeah, <laughs> but like, <laughs> that's a good way to describe it. I kind of feel the same. I'm like, yeah, oh. I'm like, it's right. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Chicago and New York. In Chicago, I love it because I was always. I came here for school. I'm like, all right, when I'm done, I'm gonna move to New York. And you know, God had a different plan for me. I really mm-hmm. love it here. It's everyone's really down to earth. I love that yeah. everybody kind of. I, I like the Midwestern, just frame of mind and being I mean yeah. there are a couple things like yeah, they're a little bit passive <laughs> I mean, so I'm, I'm, a, a, I'm a little direct <laughs> yeah. a little direct but aside from like I love I love Chicago yeah right now and sometimes people move to a city and they just like what the city has to offer but they don't love the people yeah and, like I love the people like I love my neighborhood that's important yeah I do miss that Midwest mentality sometimes not yeah. not the passiveness you know it's interesting though Coming from Iowa, Oklahoma, when I was on Seattle, oh man, you want to talk about passive? Really? Yeah. <laughs> and I remember my therapist, Loma therapist. Hey, Anne. Um, I was just always having these like confrontations out there, and I was like, ah, what is the issue? And she's like, I was like, I think I'm gonna move to Philly. And she's like, I think you're gonna love it because yeah. I'm very direct too, yeah, and not afraid to ask for what I want or say what I do. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and I love Philly, man. I feel like the meek one in Philly, which is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Very intense. Um, so when you came to the Art Institute of Chicago, pretty big school, um, right? Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, pretty big reputation. Yes. At least. Yeah. Um, did you go? 
wanting to study jewelry and metals? Do they have a jewelry and metals program? They don't really. So I went in uh, for their fashion program. So oh, okay. the School of the Art Institute at the time, I don't know what it is right now, but they were number one fine art school in the U.S. So it's yeah. like them, RISD, you know, UCLA has a really strong school. And, and um, so I went in for fine art, wanting yeah. to do more conceptual fashion. And lo and behold, I, I absolutely hate working in fabric. Like that that yeah. happened quick you know it's like <laughs> I love the designing portion of it and I yeah. appreciate it uh, but I didn't have the patience for you know assembling clothes and because you're thinking backwards and inside out yeah. and um, but you also had to take other classes like millinery metals mm-hmm. and I took a metal smithing class and I just like I just took like fish to water like there's just yeah. something about it that I really love and the thing and the funny part is that same dexterity that same part of my mind yeah I when it comes to fashion I really like beading and oh, like embroidery yeah, yeah and it's yeah. like these really meticulous yeah. small hand movements over and over again mm-hmm. um I I just really yeah I took to it so the art institute doesn't have because it it is considered craft and craft is quite looked down on there that um, is so wild to so me. So <laughs> I had to go to uh, Columbia College, which was just down the street, and take mm. metal uh, classes with Darlis Ewalt. And mm. just and it, it was great. Yeah. It was great. But I had to take classes outside of the university and transfer credits in. Oh, so you then, kept going to SAIC? I see. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. And then um, I found a couple of bench jewelers on what is our jewelers row. Yeah. And that would teach me skills outside of class as well. And I do work part time. Yeah. So, yeah. So I had a kind of like hodgepodge it because the school has the prestige, but they were not going to teach a technique. Oh, that's yeah. so funny. And I do, my friend Natalie used to help run their foundry there. Oh, but yeah. But that's like yeah. large-scale casting sculpture. Right, so sculpture. I get but that. like if you go to the sculpture department and you're like, I really want to make a table, they're going to be like, fuck you. No, you're not. Yeah, you're, you're going to make, make a, a sculpture. Bust. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to make a sculpture, you know. Huh. So. So did you graduate from there? Did I did. You, you, you did get a degree in there. Yeah. Oh, wow. And so what was your degree in? Uh, so every so they have emphasis, not majors. So of course. Oh my gosh! Oh, I yeah. didn't know all these things. Yeah. So uh, my emphasis yeah. is uh, it, what were they? AIDO. So it's um, design, it's designed objects and yeah. sculpture, and what would be considered kind of my minor, mm-hmm. uh, Middle Eastern politics, okay, and religion. So that's yeah. Yeah. For your education, was that your responsibility to pay for? Or did you? Take out loans. Loans, girl, loans. So many loans. <laughs> yes. I don't. I mean, my, my, my family helped where they could, but, you know, yeah. it's really, yeah, loans. It's really expensive. I mean, it's yeah. super prestigious, so I'm assuming. Oodles and noodles. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, and then I, I got married two weeks after I graduated. Oh. So my husband and I, we graduated with over $130,000, $135,000 worth of loans. Okay, so you met your husband while at SAIC? Yeah. 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 And what was his major? Um, so he does uh, art theory and criticism. Okay. So theory, philosophy, does writing. Does he teach or what is? No, funny. Oh. So you yeah. want to talk about money. So, so he did that and he loved it. But the thing is, if you yeah. go down the trajectory of art theory and criticism long enough, like a lot of art is meaningless. Yeah. <laughs> so he had a real problem even like making after, re- you know, after you read so much, like you're like, what, what's kind of the point of making? I don't know if yeah. some of you out there have reached that conclusion or point, <laughs> but um, so he started doing, so he was hired from the school right out of, out of college. And then yeah. they asked him to do database management. Okay. And so he's been doing marketing database management and he loves it. So oh. it's kind of like a, a second career that came out of an arts career, but the same thing. He still uses creative, critical skills in his job every yeah. day. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, good for him. Yeah. I mean, the minute you said his uh, degree, I was like, You're like, you really you? broke, aren't you, girl? No, That's no. what you said. <laughs> no, but I was like, <laughs> You're like I was dang, like, I'm I have so sorry. no idea what you do with that. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. not even the simplest <laughs> clue. It's like, teacher? Okay. <laughs> Um, so you graduate and I'm sure you have to hit the ground running because you got your student loans. Um, so what did you do right after you graduated? So right after I graduated, I literally 
took resumes in hand and walked into um, jewelry stores and places that I found intriguing and I wanted to work. And um, I got a managerial position right off the bat. Oh, nice. um, it was kind of a, it was a toxic environment. It yeah. wasn't, you know, so I mean, I walked away with some good valuable skills on what does fine jewelry production look like and things mm-hmm. like that. But like the actual like place I worked was like just super dysfunctional. Yeah. And I really want to be around people and uh, mentorship that's really going to sharpen and grow me. Yeah. You know, yeah, so yeah. I, I left there after a year and like interim of, uh, I also did my own jewelry. I would started a production line and found that I didn't really like doing production. Yeah. You know, so I started doing custom. And mm-hmm. that's where I really found kind of my wheelhouse, doing custom bridal. And yeah. Um, yeah. And there's more money in it, I yeah. assume. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because I work for a company right now where I help them design a lot of their custom pieces. And that is just like a market that is going to be there. And people, yeah. yeah. And it's something about even we have like a great collection of engagement rings, but it's just like everybody always wants to change it just a little bit. So it's like truly unique to them. And so, yeah. And custom's great, but I would say it's, you know, it's, it sounds fun, but it's not for everyone because the amount of customer engagement and service, I'd say like you really have to have, um, you really have to have some, uh, what do you, what do you call it? Endurance. Yeah. 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 Endurance too. That as well. Endurance yeah. and interpersonal skills patience. to be able a lot of patience. Yeah. Um, cause some people really thrive with, you know, doing production and it's just mm-hmm. like someone buys it, takes it and there you go. Yeah. You know, um, but it's a, when it comes to custom, it's a long game. Yeah, it really you know, is. It's a long yeah. game. I have a client through the company I work for that I've been working with. Oh my God, we're coming up on like eight months. Right. Yes. Yeah, and the <laughs> ring is not even into production yet. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Her face oh. is saying, yes, I know. I yes, know. exactly. Yes. Um, so you start doing your own custom work on the side. That's mm-hmm. exciting. And then where did you kind of evolve from there? Did you, were you like, I'm just going to try to branch off and make your own? Well, I mean, I wasn't able to make a living based on just me doing custom here and there. So Mm -hmm. uh, my husband and I just, we have had just laser, laser focus on killing our debt. Yeah. That's been the motivator for a lot of our choices and our moves in our life. So he worked at SAIC. um, So he stabilized us there. And then I worked for a bookkeeper and also... um, jewelers yeah so and then I would any sort of custom job I would do on the side and that's the thing it wasn't that many because I when you have a full-time job you can't actually take on that many side projects so I was doing maybe 10 a year so any of that extra income that I would that would come in we Mm -hmm. would just throw at our debt yeah so that's how we would view it's like we're gonna live really lean really minimally if we wanted to kind of like splurge for the year our splurge is typically travel yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, like it took us uh, 10 years before we bought a car. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And well, luckily you're in the city with a great transit, like public transportation. Yeah, but only I'm, only people in the city understand this. Like it's great up to a point And then yeah. there, there's a breaking point because we're not New York. People oh, in yeah. Chicago still, it's like half train, half car. Mm. Um, cause That's kind of how Philly is too. Yeah. It's yeah. like you use public transit for like some things, but it's like, your your life speeds up so much more when you actually have a car. So that was I'm like I couldn't wait for the day we could get a car. And <laughs> what like, we did it was just like oh my gosh, so many high fives. Yes, <laughs> game changer. Um, so have you have you paid off your debt? It sounds like you. We are rounding third. Right? So we're coming oh. to it. Yeah. So it's been about 10 years yeah uh, we started with 135 with interest it was kiss and 140 mm-hmm. and right now we're a little less than 40 nice and I'm hoping to to murder that in the next year congratulations yeah that's huge so sometimes i mean you know debt is a funny thing because it can be very discouraging you know and yeah. you feel like you're really just kind of capsized like and in those existential moments you're like why did i do this you know yeah. and I really, I mean, I can't stress enough being around community and people who are going to like sharpen you, encouraging you and be like, you got this or keep you accountable. Be like, why yeah. the hell did you buy that? You know, yeah. and, and having just like one or two people in your life that you can really be transparent 
mm-hmm. about your finances with without judgment. Yeah. But are like, this is my goal. Can you just like check me on this periodically? Yeah. So, yeah. That's important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when did you, so you're working at jewelry stores mm-hmm. and you're, get, uh, you're like gleaning this experience from them. When did you first decide, like think about maybe you want to have your own storefront someday? Yeah. Yeah. I think I've, so my family, I, I come from a family that does business. Mm-hmm. So business has always been preternatural. It's something I've always loved. Like I very much romanticize having a brick and mortar yeah. and opening my shop for the day. Do your parents like own, run their own business? Yeah. My, yeah. 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 Oh, so, nice. I mean, my father does um, business consulting. Oh, okay. Um, oh, that's a nice yeah. skill set in the family. And then, yeah. And then my brother owns a uh, pretty large uh, construction company in oh, okay. Florida and yeah so yeah. everybody's kind of all over the place but um in, in terms of industry yeah but business is business and that translates and even while I was in school like my my father really kept me accountable because mm-hmm. uh, he knew I was going to graduate dead it's like it's like if you're going to do art yeah anytime I did a class he's like that's really great like how can you monetize that or like what are you going to do with it afterward like he would he was always just very encouraging mm-hmm. and curious about my projects yeah um but there was always kind of like that little asterisk of like, all right, well, what else can you, you know, how can you sell this or how can you do this? Because he just wanted to make sure that I could take care of myself, yeah. which is important. Yeah. So, yeah. So I really, I've wanted to have a business and design as far back as I can remember. Yeah. Yeah. So a year and a half ago, you get adornment in theory. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was the catalyst for actually finally making the jump to it? So I was in my previous job and I was offered an opportunity and I was trying to make it work and it just, I just kept like hitting dead ends and I'm like, okay, this is not working and I'm forcing, I'm forcing a fit, right? And at that point you really have to kind of step back and be like, this is the time I'm going to pivot, you know, when am I going to do it? Yeah. Um, So I took a, I took a sabbatical. Okay. um, And I was just really grateful for that time. It was not bringing in income and my husband and I like we decided on it together mm-hmm. um, and in that time I really just a built my business plan was just very prayerful and strategic and yeah I mean it took about it took three months it t- during that sabbatical like, yeah yeah like and he like kept the thing kept everything flowing cash wise yeah we did buckled we down. were very lean we lived yeah. very lean and um, from the moment it decided to open the store, it took three months. Yeah. And I mean, working night and day to get this open. That's crazy. Yeah. Three from months branding to marketing long. to everything. No. Yeah. That's no. wild. Congratulations on that. Thanks. So how did you end up wanting to, um, picking Logan Square? So Logan, so I've lived here. So first year I lived in downtown, mm-hmm. lived in Logan for 15 years. So to give um, those listeners context, Logan Square. So for Chicago, we're kind of like the Brooklyn. So a lot of artists, young families, but the real, you know, tension point here is gentrification. So when we moved in, it was mainly like Puerto Rican, Mexican, working class families. Um, It was considered, you know, hood. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, artists started moving in. Same story. Every city has one, you know, and then gentrification has been happening. So there's just been a lot of tension there. And I felt... I wanted a space here. I mm-hmm. wanted to lay down roots mm-hmm. in, a, in a special place that I call home because these are my neighbors and I love them and I feel yeah. like I know the community. Yeah. Um, like, I, I mean, we really like, we know almost every business owner on the block. Like when yeah. we opened, we just had so much like champagne and flowers and love from like almost every business owner sent us um, some love. That's like, amazing. Just for opening, like, like the Felix, the guy who's he's the homeless guy outside. Like, I like did see him somebody and you're like, day. hey, Felix. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like we, we know everyone and, yeah. you know, downtown's very different. That's going to be more tourist based. So because it's in the neighborhood, yeah. the jewelry, the artists I select, the mm-hmm. price points I select are with my, my neighborhood in mind. Yeah. You know, I want people to be able to come in and be able to access pieces and not feel like this is above me this is a pretentious space this is a space that I can never actually afford afford anything or you know feel any sort of warmth 
Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel you on that so much, and it's so nice to hear you say that because I lived in Seattle for a long time, and I lived in Capitol Hill, which mm-hmm. I guess would be kind of like it's like the hip neighborhood there too, right? Like the yeah. artists made it cool. It's where all the like iconic like punk rock venue was, mm-hmm. and um, gentrification hit that place real hard. Like yeah. three, four, five years ago with Amazon moving in. And what struck me is that these stores would stop, like, pop up. And last time I was there, it was, like, a really minimal with these, like, giant steps in it. And Mm -hmm. it was, like, shoes, but, like, not that many pairs of shoes. You know, it's, like, $500 pairs of shoes. And you walk in and you're, like, I can't afford any of this. It does. That feeling Mm -hmm. is not a good feeling when all of a sudden you live in a neighborhood surrounded by retail shops that you can't access. Yeah. And and that sounds, like... Uh, an unspoken message it's you're not welcome here it's right. i've yeah. set up shop in your neighborhood and you cannot afford this and this is for a future you or or some you know yeah as almost you know for some people we'll use the term aspirational brand i'm like really it's you don't want the people who live here to be able to shop here yeah and you know i feel like that's very like subversively aggressive oh my um, god it's awful and i'm yeah. always wondering it's like do all their sales come from online because like yeah Obviously, the people and some living people here have like a following yeah. and a you know what I would call like a tribe, yeah, you know, like almost like supreme or things like that. Like people seek those things out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but for here, I'm very conscious to have our price point start in between thirty five, mm-hmm. thirty five dollars for like a little pair of studs, uh, for the most part to like three hundred and fifty, and then yeah. the next scale is fine jewelry. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so, with adornment in theory, how did you come up with that name? So, um, obviously the adornment portion, of course, you know, uh, but you know, the theory obviously being the conceptual work, but also I, I feel like sometimes people have a limited view of like what theory could be because, Mm -hmm. all right, let me, let me try to break this down. I feel like in (laughs) academia, especially with art jewelry, Mm -hmm. that means a very specific thing. And what it excludes is a lot of like makers in other countries or in smaller spaces. It's like as if they don't have concept or layered, layered stories going into their work as well. And that's something that I really want to reveal. I want to reveal the history of jewelry, um, different countries that are, you know, making from like Northern Africa to Bangladesh, you know, to, you know, different spaces in the U.S. Mm -hmm. that might, you know, that I guess in academia would be considered outsider art (laughs) or, or, you know, more craft based. Yeah. So, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Even in our Instagram about, you know, every seven to 10 days, I'll have one tile just about the history of jewelry and I'll pull something from like, you know, Medo Persian Empire or Greece or, you know, Mm -hmm. I I don't know if that helps. No, it does. I mean, mean, sometimes like the hardest thing about something is figuring out a title. And um, I'm always interested, like where inspiration comes from for that. Yeah. Give a little insight. Yeah. So how has being your own boss lady been going? Has it been what you expected fully? I, yes. Yeah. I I love what I'm doing, but Mm -hmm. it, it has grown me exponentially and that's what yeah. I really love I can, really love being stretched can I give insight too because sometimes I feel like people like like in my mind like I assume somebody that owns a shop like they must be so established in their life and doing things to be able to make that happen mm-hmm. can, may I ask how old you are I am 34 okay we are the same age yeah, yeah well like in a month yeah <laughs> um, I'll be 34 that's okay good yeah I think that insight's really important yeah um and sometimes I put pressure I'm like oh my gosh that's that's uh so much older because yeah. we put a lot of pressure on ourselves like what did I th- what did you think you would do by the time you were 25 or oh, 27 yeah. and I had to have a lot of grace on myself because I graduated with a lot of debt And I don't have a trust fund. You know, my family's awesome and supportive, uh, but there's a real fire under my ass. Yeah. You know, it's like failure is not an option. Mm -hmm. That is, that is like a core thing with me. Like failure is not an option. And because of that, it's, I, I celebrate the benchmarks that I hit financially. Yeah. I'm super laser focused. Yeah. So, yeah. So I opened, yeah, 32 years old. Yeah, 32 and Congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, Questions I have. I really wanted to get your insight about things that I think about if I ever started my own business. Um, 
I mean, I dabbled with trying to make a living off my work. I did like the Philadelphia Museum Art Craft Show and things like that. But I never, I've never had a business plan. I've never written one out. Okay. I've never really put thought into how I pay myself. I just make money and then I take it and then I don't have as much money as I should to do other things. Mm -hmm. Um, So for you, you, how many employees do you have? So we have four. You have four employees. Um, Did you have four employees like right off the bat or like how long was it? I worked by myself for the first uh, six and a half, seven months. Okay. And I have a wonderful community uh, for my church and I had several like girlfriends, like they would come volunteer and help here and there and then there's actually a couple other business owners on the street that have come and like tap me out oh my god you go take a nap we'll take the store for the day and like they they would yeah are you open up seven days a week six days a week okay i don't want to kill myself yeah Yeah. i was just gonna say like oh god (laughs) what's your day off is it sunday monday it's on monday yeah i always thought that yeah duh right because it's like yeah you yeah yeah i remember i went somewhere once on a Monday and my intention was to visit a bunch of galleries and I was like oh shit everything's closed on Mondays yeah um and so six to seven months into it you had your community helping you out that's pretty amazing um and has your husband like ever stepped in like oh yeah he totally has I love I absolutely love it because he will he'll try his he, he's he'll try his best that's what yeah. i love about him uh his name is michael and uh he'll always just jump in yeah. even if he doesn't fully know what he's doing and like <laughs> yeah i love it it's like watching like a cat walk with socks you're just like, <laughs> just like i'm like like um, oh he's trying yeah and it's it's just yeah it's so yeah. loving um often i find that i'll meet couples that just kind of the dynamic amongst them is like they're just like perfect partners in business as well in some ways because oh, they Lord. play up to each <laughs> yeah. other's strengths. So what kind of dynamic has that been for you too? Like, Yeah, we had to learn it because the thing is, as a marriage, yeah, we have a very strong marriage. Our communication is really good. Like mm-hmm. that, we've put a lot of work and effort into that. Yeah. But that's solid. Switching that dynamic to business, it was like a cluster. Yeah. yeah. It, it was... It was hard because the thing is, it, it shifts from, you know, him being under me because it's my business. Then yeah. we have, you know, um, you're telling your spouse what to do. Yeah. And those expectations. And I believe that some spouses really are, are really strong at compartmentalizing that. Yeah. We were not, you know. Oh, um, yeah. My expectation over business is very intense. And yeah. for me, I'm just like, if you're going to do it, you're going to come correct. And... Mm-hmm. I'm going to hold you accountable and you're going to hold me accountable. Yeah. Um, but at home, we're not that, um, uh, it's, we're not that hard with each other. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Of course not. Of course. Cause you're not like that with you're loving you know, and you're your loving partner. and then there's a lot of grace. And if people mess up, you know, but that shift is, you know, so we've talked about, it's not that we'll never work together, but if we ever do so choose that in the future, we're going to yeah. probably have to take, um, some consulting or some classes together on leadership and partnership and management. Yeah. Yeah. There's this company I follow called East Fork that does pottery and it's a husband wife. And I really appreciate how she, they tend to be very um, transparent about that. About like, you know, sometimes they'll say like, Hey, it all looks perfect on our Instagram, but like we're struggling with this aspect of it. And yeah. Um, Cause I there's a, there's a power dynamic. There's a shift there. There's yeah. an accountability. There's, Hey, did you get this done? And yeah. that's very different from someone uh, who you've employed versus yeah. someone you have to lay next to at yeah. night. Yeah. So in the beginning, when you started the gallery, how did you think about paying yourself? That's like in your business model, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So what was that for you? So, okay, so let's break this down. So, did you pay yourself in the beginning? No, no. <laughs> oh, but I, oh, okay. but I also had a spouse, which is yeah. very different. So, yeah, not that we were making oodles and noodles, but we went into it with a plan. Yeah, and um, so we're like, okay, we're gonna live very lean. We're gonna live on your salary while I build this up, because yeah. we need to build up the working capital. So, working capital for those of you who don't know, it's uh, consider it kind of like an. Em- what a personal person's emergency fund is, except the purpose of it is not to just create a mass reserve and, and save it. Mm-hmm. Uh, working capital is active. So, you know, say you have mm, 
$5,000 as, as your working capital. Yeah. So that is always being used and replenished on a regular basis to keep your, to keep, it's like oil in the machine, keeps yeah. everything running. Yeah, so yeah. I needed to build up the working capital in the business so that we would, you know, function. And the big thing with the business is we want to operate with no debt. Yeah. You know, that is, you know, I've, I already made that mistake. At, at the age of 18, yeah. I'm not going to repeat the same mistake yeah. you know, in my 30s. So uh, the way I started eventually paying myself, that had to be a line item written in there. And it was very minimal at first. Yeah. You know, we're talking about I hired my first employee before I started paying myself. And when I did, uh, a business mentor is like, you need to put your line item because your business does not work if you are not getting paid. Okay. Well, it, of it, course. It, you know, because, yeah. hey, this is not... non-for-profit you know I'm doing this for a profit and to sustain myself so I started out with like 400 600 I go week by week and just take the temperature and the thing is with business it's what's your risk tolerance right you know if I'm taking $400 out for me I need to make sure that I have 10 times the amount that in the account so I can take care of my employees. Yeah. Everyone's different. There are some business owners that they will pay themselves before their employees. They're like, oh, it's, you know, I can just do the whole business by myself and then have someone here and there. And for me, yeah. I want to scale this and I want to grow this Yeah. so that I want to make sure everybody's taken care of, you yeah. know? And I'm very transparent with my employees about that too. It's yeah. like, you know, when I do raises, when I can do raises, you know, Mm -hmm. this is what bonuses look like. And as we grow, I want you to grow with me, Yeah, you know, and then it gives them incentive for Mm -hmm. investing in you as Uh, well. You're right. And and the thing with business, it's, it's not, you know, hi, that's, that's him. Oh, that's that's your husband. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, who's this guy? He's smiling. Hey, Yeah. (laughs) but you know, People are important, but profit is important as well. Because yeah. if we don't have profit, we can't stabilize and we can't take care of the employees here. You yeah. know, so as you know, as I'm leading the ship, I have to be cognizant of both. You yeah. Know? So when you were saying a line item like four or five hundred dollars, were you referring to like a month or? I mean, it depended on the month. You know, like oh, so it also yeah. So my my goal originally yeah yeah. So it fluctuates based on the health of the of the business. Now some yeah. business owners will just do a flat say, I want to pull three thousand dollars out of the business this month. You know, I yeah. I'm, I'm talking very low numbers. I'm talking small business numbers. Yeah. Because sometimes people think, oh, you you want a brick and mortar, you, you know, you must be rolling, and that comes in time. Yeah. But say like. Example, so I'm going to pull $3,000 this month. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I will pay myself along with payroll. So every two weeks mm-hmm. when everyone gets paid, say 1500 and 1500 and then I split it. Yeah. Um, if we have a stronger month, yeah. then I'm able to take a little bit more. If we're having a weaker month, I have to take the sacrifice. And there have been months that I've taken $200 and I've taken very little in order to stabilize and make sure that everybody's getting paid. Everything is getting taken care of. All vendors are being taken care of, you know? So, you know, people sometimes forget, you know, when they think like, Oh, you know, this, this boss, this business owner, like, ah, they're, you know, and and maybe in, you know, some months are really, really strong. And for me, I will be transparent right now. Anytime I'm taking profit or I'm throwing it right now in my debt. Yeah. You know, I want to get out of student loan debt. Yeah. I want to be, you know, and have financial freedom. Yeah. And and know that, you know, for those of you listening, like a lot of this, this wasn't like it just like came naturally to me. So when we were 23, 24, Mm -hmm. our church really stressed uh, if you were going to get married, you had to do a financial course. Oh, you had to. I like that. Oh, so good. Yeah. So we took uh, financial peace with. Dave Ramsey. Mm. Um, it's usually it's it's the course is given all over the country. Okay, it's a hundred dollars, guys. Best hundred dollars ever spent. What's if you it listen called? to one fucking thing <laughs> from this podcast, take this course. <laughs> like it's called Financial Peace University. Financial they also Peace offer University. it online. Okay, and it is about personal finance, but it breaks down everything. And th- let me tell you guys, this is how you get out of debt. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the whole thing of the course is about getting out of debt very quickly. 
Yeah. And, you know, for my husband and I, there were some years that we, like, were able to really get a debt snowball. Yeah. But some, there were some years that, like, if there was job loss, we had to put loans on forbearance. Yeah. You know, you, you yeah. had to put on forbearance in order for survival, you know. Yeah. And I know that's not everybody's story. But, um, yes, if you are out there and you are struggling with budgeting and finance and this. Yeah. This, that is, I would say, the number one baseline. Invest in yourself and take this course. Yeah. Because it, it gives context to everything else. And, yeah. yeah. I've been doing... Uh, my family did not... My mom was not good with finances. Oh. I know for yeah. sure no, she was not. <laughs> and then my grandparents <laughs> kind of approached it in a way that wasn't necessarily the best way either, which was just like, you just can't spend money at all. Mm. Which doesn't teach you anything either. Right. Um, and so as a 34-year-old, you know, I'm debt-free, but I am not, I don't have any savings, like barely, yeah. you know? So now it's this thing where it's like, I'm, I've been really been digging into this kind of stuff. Someone told me about Mr. Money Stash. So I've been looking oh, yeah. at that. And then NPR has these like life hack podcasts that I've been talking about, like budgeting and whatnot. So, um, I pretty much know I'm already going to take this course that you just told me about. It's- it's fantastic. And that's yeah. the thing. Sometimes it's just like, you know, you just need a framework, right? Okay. So yeah. I need three to six months of emergency fund. I need, but I would also say like accountability, you know, having community yeah. that's also doing it and having people that you can actually speak honestly about it with, it yeah. that helps as well, you know, because yeah. it, it helps you not feel so alone. And then when your paycheck comes, you're not YOLOing all over the place. Like, you know what? I'm so tired. I'm going to go buy this and eat this and drink this, you know, yeah. and there's, you know, other people kind of running that race with you. Ah, that you know. phrase, <laughs> that is so real. Like yeah. in your paycheck, you're like, ah, oh, whatever. Like I'm broke anyways. I'm going to go yeah. out to eat and like, it doesn't matter. Cause oh, we all do that uh, at some point. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, so who was your first employee that you hired? Do you still have that employee? Oh, uh, no, Rachel, she moved to California, but she actually mm. wants to move back. To oh, <laughs> she's like, can I, I get actually, a job or what? Let me tell you, I, we, I know it will come one day, but I'm really happy that uh, every employee loves working here. Which so much speaks so, so highly of you. Yeah, we we are having a blast. Yeah. Um, but even the first person I had to let go, Yeah. Um, she had a full-time job. Yeah. And... This was her part-time gig on top of that job? She just wanted to work here one day a week just to be here <laughs> and to be around us. And uh, we absolutely love her. She's terrible at sales. Yeah. And, like, eventually I just had to tell her, I'm like, uh, her name's Ying. She, she's a really great, really great person. But she, I'm just like, Ying, we can't pay you to be our friend. Like, we just like hanging out with you. She goes, I know. She's like, I'm terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, that was, like, the best um, I love that quote, your first story of like having to let, let somebody someone go. go. And then we just, you know, like she's getting married and we all went to like her bridal shower and, you know, we still, and she still comes in and hangs out, but it, it wasn't a contentious, there wasn't any sort of rot with drama yeah. or anything like that. Yeah. That speaks, I mean, gosh, I've had so many bad jobs. Woof. Yeah. Yeah. So, and so how many employees right now again? Four. Four. Yeah. yeah. And how long has it? When did you hire your fourth employee? Is that? Um, just this past week. Oh, yes. congratulations. Brock will be joining our team. <laughs> oh, is it a dude? <laughs> yes. Is that your first male employee? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Um, and what is, with your employees, what do you look for in your employees? So um, I have a company culture actually behind this wall. I'm sure I saw that. I want. I kind of want to take a picture of it because I was like, a lot of people do. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so some of our our pillars for like our company culture. One is um, excellence. I I want to be around people who are striving for excellence for themselves and for you know others around them. Yeah. Um, That you know we all have weaknesses, but they're even growing in those right you know yeah um ownership mentality people who take projects and really run with them and drive with them yeah um i want to be around people who and, and this is one of the things i say in the interview like do you actually love people right? yeah do you actually delight uh and other women and want to see them succeed um not as like some sort of trendy pinterest quote but like do you actually support other yeah. women you know because my thing is anybody who walks through the store, I want them to feel warmth. I want them to feel loved. Um, and I think people really do feel that because a lot of, I mean, I don't know how many jewelry stores 
do neighborhood people come and just hang out in? Yeah. <laughs> Which they do. You yeah. know, people just come here to hang out a lot of times. Um, so I, people who have a lot of uh, self-accountability, mm-hmm. um, who have a passion for design, I actually yeah. kind of really enjoy um, hiring non-jewelers. I was just going to ask that. I was like, is Brock a jeweler? No. No. Yeah. What's his background? Fashion. Oh, okay. Is he at SAIC or like? No, he just graduated from Columbia College. Okay, that one you took those classes. Yeah, and then uh, Bianca, our manager, her background is also in fashion. And Mm -hmm. then um, Emily, uh, her background is in. uh, She's an English major. Oh, okay. So, but I actually really love the perspective of people who are not in jewelry because I can teach. I can teach skill. I can teach technique. But you can't teach attitude. Yeah. You know, you can't teach style. Like Mm -hmm. you know, like. I want people who have great attitudes. Like they come in and they're just super positive and hype and they like want to actually be here. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They love their job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for you. Okay. So now you have employees. Do you bum, still bum, just, bum. Do, you, do you still <laughs> just take off one day a week? Do you give yourself like two days a week? Is that even possible? I, I can. Yeah. I can. Um, I do see a difference in the energy of when I'm here versus when I'm not. And it's not yeah. about micromanagement whatsoever. Um, I trust everyone here implicitly. Uh, everyone yeah. here is very disciplined and, you know, but um, yeah, I, I see when I'm here an increase in sales, um, mm-hmm. you know. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And not necessarily directed for me. I think there's also, you know. It's like an energy that you bring to it and everybody's motivated. But it's in every job. I I don't, it's, you know, when your boss is there, you're like more on it, right? Yeah, you kind of are. Even if like, even if you're not conscious of that. Right. And and I've worked in places where owners have checked out. Yeah. And, you know, that trickles down. Leadership sets the tone. And when your boss is like, I'm gone, whatever. You know, it's, yeah. you kind of treat it the same way. So I'm here, I try to be here like five days a week, yeah. you know, six days a week in the afternoon, check in. Um, I'm doing all the custom work and custom clients. So really a lot of things are, are surrounded around that schedule. Yeah. Um, the girls would like me to be here less, I think, <laughs> sometimes because <laughs> they like me to rest. And that was something the first year I really had to get over guilt Mm, um, because this yeah. is my baby, you know, this is an yeah. infant still. And totally. I'm a mama bear. I'm a mama bear about like my business and my employees. I'm very, you know, like yeah. I want, I want to foster this and coach it and see it grow. Yeah. Yeah. I relate to you like with that, with the podcast, it's yeah. my baby and it's baby. so much guilt. Yeah. It's hard to get over. Mm-hmm. Even when you know you're doing a good job, you still feel guilty. Yeah. And that's the thing. Yeah. I, I am not um, a mother yet, yeah. but when people talk about, you know, motherly guilt, I, yeah. I feel like I, I have some sort of empathy for inkling that. And in, in, in inkling in a small way, obviously a human life is very different, but um, yeah, it just, I'm proud of it. Yeah. I want to see it grow. And mm-hmm. um some people ask like, you know, did you just want to open a business so you could be your own boss? And it's really like, that's not my attitude about yeah. like, because you're never going to be your own boss. Guess what? Your customers are your boss, <laughs> yeah, you know? Like- and for me, it's, I had a lot of creative things that I wanted to explore and the jobs that I were at, that I, uh, that I worked at, yeah, didn't a lot for it. You know, I enjoy yeah. marketing. I like doing finance. I like having my hands in a lot of things. Um, and business suits me. Yeah. In my creative endeavors. Yeah. So that's very different than like, I don't want authority over me. <laughs> yeah, like, no, it is. Yeah. And there's something too about when you're the role that you're like, or Dornman in theory, that's your identity then, you know, like mm-hmm. perceived value has become part of my identity as well. And it's not about that. Like I'm my own boss. It's just like, it's your passion and yeah. you pursue it in just every, as anything else you would do. And there's also, I, I notice a difference between people who have fought for their passion versus mm. like some, you know, things that have come easily. Like yeah. if you've graduated school or something and you're like, oh, I have the money and I could just, you know, open a gallery, I, right. Open yeah. a gallery or do whatever. It's when you finally, I mean, we're both 34, right? When yeah. you finally, you're like, listen, I've waited 10 plus years to get here. Like, yeah. you know, damned over, like I am working this, yeah. I'm working this and I'm doing it and I'm going to like soak up every minute and every opportunity I can. Yeah. Yeah. Give everything you can. Yeah. Can you give me insight as to, 
um, what your week does look like then because you are, yeah. yeah. How do you navigate that? Like making sure all the roles are being played at the shop. Yeah. So Mondays I'm off. Um, Mm -hmm. I do in my email, um, what do you call it? I love your email. You're like, I don't do email on Mondays. Yeah. 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 It says my schedule. It says, you know, Mondays I'm off. Uh, what days I answer emails and Mm -hmm. then on the weekends I have limited access and then now um, to further expectations of people I have on there my average email response rate is two to three days nice so that's so smart that's helping to regulate expectations yeah where I had guilt you know Mm. um, because I have had emails kind of pile up or or responses and um before I had this business, man, I answered emails within the hour, Yeah, you know, and now that's just not, that's Possible. just not realistic. No. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So then I come in Tuesdays, mm-hmm. um, usually a full day, Wednesday, full day being like nine to five, uh, 10 to seven, 10 to seven. Yeah. And then, but like within that day, is it like coming in and focusing on custom design and like actually working at the bench or so I Tuesdays I typically uh, reconcile accounts and just do financing okay so I just do all finances which I love Uh, Tuesday's a fun day (laughs) that's a fun day for me yeah Yeah. because it's strategy Um, you know I kind of like take a pulse in the health of like how the weekend went yeah Um, probably watching like Real Housewives of Anywhere in the background while I do it. <laughs> and then yeah. uh, Wednesdays, um, Wednesdays or Fridays, I usually do designing. Yeah. Um, I used to make everything, but now uh, it's impossible. Yeah. It's just way too much work. Yeah. So I've started a small production uh, here in the city. Yeah. Um, so I think Barry O'Neill is similar, right? Like oh, they, they have, yeah. you do it in Philly. Are, anybody does yeah. that. Like, yeah. I feel there, like there's, there's no like way. Veil. Hey guys, yeah. guess what? Most jewelers, oh, like yeah. once you get to a certain level, it's like you're outsourcing most stuff. Absolutely. And, and yeah. that was another hurdle. A oh, you hurdle have to, that's that hard you to come to really terms guilty. with. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, you're taught in school and everything else. Like it's not real or sincere. Are it's you not coming at yourself? Your Absolutely. Yeah. And for me, it's, I know my skill. Yeah. And I know it in my bones. And that really helps inform my design, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, my product checks and everything else. But now I'm doing production. But that was something I really had to get over. It's like, okay, this is a good problem. This is not yeah. a bad problem. And this problem is not a reflection of, like, my lack of worth yeah. or my, my lack of being a real artist. It's this is the next step if I want to grow, yeah. you know. So... I do design and meet with clients Thursdays. I try to take off, but I usually try to come in after one o'clock. So my mornings, mm. uh, my mornings are pretty much the same. I wake up, do a Bible study, meditate, and I go work out. Yeah, uh, working out is like really big for me, mm-hmm. um, just to like clear my mind. And then like I garden. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, see, yeah. you can own a business and do things like. Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> the the narrative of like workaholism needs to just kind of like go I'm by the wayside. So over that, no. and also like Work this smart. Do you know Trust this new narrative, which is like being busy is a status symbol, like how busy you are. Oh, that makes me want to punch someone in the throat. Uh, me too. What is that? I don't love being busy all no, the time. No, you know what's funny to me when people always tell me they're busy, where I think is that you are actually. Um, you're not actually productive. If I have five hours in the day, I suck the marrow out of those five hours in the mm-hmm. day. If I'm still doing work at night, that tells me that I was distracted during the day. Yeah. So that's my perspective on like, people are like, I'm so busy. It's like, no, I mean, everybody has a certain bandwidth during the day yeah. and certain priorities. Um, I do have to exercise saying no. I think we all do at some uh, point because the thing is, yeah. there's a lot of fun things that I yeah. want to do. And that's actually what exhausts me. Yeah. more you know like come to this gallery Honestly, opening hanging out with my friends some, is way more tiring than the podcast yeah, it's like after a full day come to a gallery opening let's go grab margaritas do you want to go see a movie this week and before yeah. you know it your week is filled up with all of these kind of subset things and you, that's why my mornings are really important and yeah. they're really consistent yeah because that's my priority and that's your time for yourself yeah you invest in yourself yeah yeah I like that. I, I relate to you on that. There's mm-hmm. Wednesdays. I don't work until 1130 at my day job. And I typically will wake up 
as as early as I can. I am not a morning person. I wish I could wake up at 5 a.m. and go to the gym. Never. I can't even wake up at 7 a.m. You you made that one up. No. I know know people are like, at 6 a.m. I wake up. I'm at the gym. I come home at like 8. And I'm just Mm -hmm. like, no, I want to wake up at 8. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But that day I really love. And I'm so productive on that morning. Yeah. And I love that day because then I get off work at 7.30. I come home. I make dinner. And I relax. And I go to bed. Yeah. Yeah, got it in early. Um, and so, do you have somebody who manages the shop, like the retail side of the shop for you right now? Yes, my yeah. darling Bianca behind me. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> so I'm, I'm hitting on her. <laughs> so I would let's let's. Uh, I would imagine that would feel kind of like handing over your baby a yes. little bit and yeah. being like, okay, I'm gonna let you go to daycare, but this is a little terrifying. Yeah. That, yeah. And that took a little while. So our, my first manager was Rachel mm-hmm. and she was absolutely amazing. Um, and what's great is like when you have someone who's really professional, they keep you on your toes, you know, like it's, yeah. it's a reciprocal learning, you know, relationship. Yeah. Um, but oh man, you know, I remember like early on, I, I made such a blunder. Like I failed so flamboyantly in front of her and I had to like, <laughs> I had to go to her for, for forgiveness. Yeah. And uh, she was like just really touched that I would fess up to my mistake. Yeah. Um, that it actually made our working relationship that much stronger. Oh, yeah. You built that trust then. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. that's huge. Yeah. Um, but it took me a while. I mean, and the thing is, a lot of it is like I have to train well. It's not like a set it and forget it kind of thing. I, you can't just train once and just be like, okay, you, you, you know what you're doing. It's like you really, if, if you want to see everything taken care of like you also have to take care of the people who are under you yeah you know, and check on check in on them regularly mm-hmm. you know not just on the business but on a personal level yeah yeah no, absolutely um for your employees are you like bianca are you able to offer them health insurance have you gotten to that place as like a small business yet no so she is full-time yeah. but she is still uh receiving health insurance from family Oh, because uh, oh, she's under 25. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Live it up, Bianca. Ex- exactly. <laughs> 25th birthday, you're like, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> no, I mean, I already plan for that in yeah. the future. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah. see, right there, that says so much about you, that you're like conscious of that and planning for it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, because um, there's a difference between minimum wage and livable wage. And mm-hmm. I start people at minimum wage, but my goal is always to try to get people to a living wage. Yeah. But obviously that's going to be relevant to people's lifestyles and this and that. Um, but I cannot give beyond what we make, you know, yeah. um, you know, it's not even giving, it's earning, you know, switch that language. It's not a yeah. generosity thing. You know, they work and they work in excellence and I want to be able to compensate accordingly. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. It's based on that. So with Adornment in Theory, um, how are things going? Like, are you excited for the future? Do you have anything like big moves coming up for the business? Yeah. I mean, we are doing really well. Yeah. I'm super grateful. (laughs) (laughs) You strike me as the type of woman that's always like five years ahead in your mind. You're like, okay. I am. It's a problem. (laughs) Yeah. It's a problem. Yeah. 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 Um, You know, because for me, I that's my creativity yeah yeah. you know that's my creativity like that fuels me like Mm -hmm. how do i cast a vision for the future how are we going to execute that um how do we build into that um i would love to you know do a second location in another city Mm -hmm. um you know and and we have other plans that i'm not yet but um have some collaborations coming up this year that i'm so excited to announce um some collaborations that have taken Ah, one is like seven months in and you know the other one is four months in um Mm -hmm. kind of passion projects nice yeah so i i am really really excited i mean and you just hired a new employee yeah yeah so moving and grooving yeah and and i'm still always having to take a a check of to like what lifestyle do i really want to live because bigger isn't necessarily better and and expansion isn't necessarily that yeah open up a whole other shop that seems yeah you know but um, somebody gave me a really great um, workable tool several years ago, and it was uh, write out your ideal day mm-hmm. and then write out, write out your ideal week and your ideal month and then year. So if your ideal week is I'd like to wake up at 8 o'clock, 
work out when I want to, you know, actually cook myself breakfast, go into work at 2 p.m., mm-hmm. leave work by 6 p.m. So just general. Yeah. Um, I'd like to play with my children, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, next up, you know, I like to take two international trips a year. So then you back it out and it's like, what do you need to make to make that lifestyle? You know, as opposed to you keep making money or, you know, amassing or not amassing, right? You're, you're, you're spending, but you don't know what it's for and you don't actually know what kind of life or ideal day you're actually trying to make a goal for, you know? So I, I, yeah, those goals, goals are important. Yeah. Yeah. Have I said a lot of goals? I probably have. (laughs) No. Well, well, you know, my mentor always was like, what's your five year plan? And I was like, what? Huh? And so she instilled in me in that, like a five-year plan. And so, mm-hmm. and now I put that towards anything I'm doing, like with the podcast. It was like right. within one year, have some kind of sponsorship within, or two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hit that at like one year offered. Mm-hmm. I didn't take it because that's a whole other tax thing. It is. But, yeah. which I'm not ready to do yet. But by five years, yeah, I do want to be sponsored. And you have to think like that. It helps move you mm-hmm. along. I and and it's goals. just, it's just a framework. Like it's, yeah. it's movable. Like you can pivot at any time. Like you're not going to like self, you know, destruct if you're yeah. like, oh, at year three, I said I was going to go to Greece. Yeah. You don't want to do stand. negative. You don't want to <laughs> make know, it like, negative. Yeah. You always have to be open to like, yeah. it's not always going to go to plan. Like, how and do you, you change might it? change. Yeah. You, you might, might change. change. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Viviana, thank you so much for giving me insight because sometimes you just see somebody that has a storefront in Logan Square and you just, you don't understand how they got there, even though it might be some, a part of like a dream for yourself. So thank you for giving me insight as to how you're making this dream work for you. Thank you for having me. And this space is beautiful. Did you do a ton of work in here or... I did a little bit of work in here, but I would say like my second passion is interior design. I so could tell. <laughs> I was really, yeah, from the lighting fixtures, everything I, I had uh, custom made uh, cases and everything else. So yeah. Yeah, they're beautiful. Thank you. Good job. All right, everyone. This has been another episode of Perceived Value taped in Chicago, Illinois at Adornment in Theory. The podcast broaching the subject of value with artists. Until next time. Perceived Value is recorded and produced by me, Sarah Rachel Brown. If you love the podcast and you want to show your support, become our patron. Visit patreon.com slash perceived value to learn more. Or check out our website at perceivedvaluepodcast.com and click on the support page. As always, thank you for listening.